is a coward. More on that later. Welcome to Guarding the Corner. <laughs> I'm James. <laughs> uh, that person laughing underneath my voice is Brian. Brian, it's a wonderful hey, day for baseball, isn't, isn't it? It's, it's a beautiful day for baseball, especially here in Northeast Ohio. I know that the Guardians aren't in town, but a uh, beautiful day outside. We got our first real day of spring. It, it's nice to see, considering, you know, there was snow here earlier in the week. It's nice 80 degrees here in Northeast Ohio. I thought we were going to avoid uh, snow during baseball season because we got the late start, but we still managed to get it during uh, the regular season this year, late in April. Yeah, I don't know how the hell that happened, <laughs> honest with you, because it really seemed like you're right, like we're going to avoid it. Like, okay, yeah, you know, it was like 50s, 60s pretty consistently, and all of a sudden it's like, mm -hmm. nope, 25 degrees and you're getting snow. <laughs> yeah, that was that was like one of the things I was optimistic about. I was like, well, you know what? Maybe getting a late start in Cleveland will be good for us because the weather will be broke by then. And that was totally wrong. Yeah, like I don't know what the original schedule was, but I wonder if those games would have been taking place in Cleveland on those days under the original schedule. Yeah, that's a good question. It's a good question. Uh, it's a, definitely a question for somebody else because I don't have the answer. But anyways, <laughs> I don't have it on hand either. So let's put a pin in that and we'll circle back to it at some point later. Yeah. So uh, let's get into it. Um, Guardians came off of a nice three games and two day sweep of the White Sox. Gosh, could not be a better way to bounce back. And that was that was very much needed considering how like lifeless the offense looked for the most part against San Francisco. I guess the, the two days of rest in the mm -hmm. snow and having to play the White Sox in two uh, two games on uh, Wednesday certainly uh, brought the Guardians' bats to life. Uh, yeah, that's for certain. And uh, one of the things we were speculating, you know, before the, the White Sox series began was, you know, was that offensive outburst a fluke or, you know, where were we going to land? And I think they showed that somewhere in the middle is actually somewhere, you know, that they'll be capable of. Um, which is good to see because, you know, after losing those games to San Francisco, uh, it looked like, oh, God, this might be the way that the bats just go from now. But they woke back up, so great to see. And uh, I feel like we're going to get more production out of this lineup than we originally thought this year. Yeah, I do too. Uh, and it was a great matchup for Cleveland. We, we highlighted in the first game uh, that there are some bats that have a good track record against Dallas Keuchel. So uh, a combination of that previous history, plus uh, Tim Anderson looking completely awful in the field, committing three errors in this game, led to a very early 10-0 lead for the Guardians after the second ending. Yeah, this was absolutely bananas. Um, Tim, Tim Anderson has the yips. Um, this was the first of many more. Uh <laughs> comedies of errors for tim anderson uh who's actually now under suspension for an outburst towards the uh crowd so yeah not uh not a good way to start the year for tim anderson he's definitely got the yips he's going through something but um we you know we capitalized off it and that's mm -hmm. what that's what you want a young team to do you know if if a guy makes an error like that it's like okay can we capitalize on this and uh that second inning they did that and more you know they were able to take advantage of of the errors. Good mm -hmm. teams are able to force a team into making a fielding error. Great teams are the ones that make them pay. Shout out Tim Misney. 
Anyways. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Misney. He will make them pay. And the Guardians made them pay in this game. Because uh, they just they kept piling on. I mean, Keuchel lasted an inning. He allowed 10 runs on 10 hits. I'm sorry, he allowed 7 runs. 10 came across the score on 10 hits with a walk. He needed 48 pitches. It was just, let's go, just one guy after another. And, you know, you, you might as well have been playing yakety sacks in the background with Anderson out in the field there. Uh, you really might as well have. And the other thing about this, too, was, like, he wasn't walking, guys. Like, his, it wasn't like he was missing the zone. Like, he threw 31 strikes on 48 pitches. We were just hitting every single thing that he threw. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was not hitting his spots. He was leaving stuff over the plate. Um, and, you know, one of our concerns going into the series was that, you know, he had – plenty of experience against our young roster uh, for, you know, a guy going into the series. And, uh, you know, our bats showed that it was kind of retribution, I would say, for some of the outings that Keuchel had against us uh, over the past couple of years. Yeah, this version of Dallas Keuchel is not the Dallas Keuchel uh, of yesteryear, obviously. You know, uh, father time has caught up to him a little bit. He is not Mm -hmm. the same type of guy he was in Houston. And, you know, I'm okay with that. But, yeah, um, that's good news for us, you know, now that he's in the division, because, you know, the few times we would run into him, it seemed like we always struggled against him. Um, There's a couple guys that hit him well, but for the most part, you know, a lot of inexperience. And, uh, yeah, you know, they showed that, that I guess what you were saying about Father Time catching up to him, like, when your stuff is just a little bit off, like a major league team is going to make you pay. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we see these guys that sometimes have such a steep decline um, because just that little bit, you know, that two or three miles per hour off of his velocity, uh, you know, the spin rate slows down on a slider and, you know, it, it just goes to show it can turn into a, a 10 run inning really quick. Yeah, and the type of pitcher Keuchel is, he was never a big strikeout guy. He was always a big pitch-to-contact sinker baller. So when you're missing your spots as a, as a sinker baller or pitch-to-contact guy, it can get ugly fast, and that's what happened here. Yeah, that's that's what happened exactly. Um, only the one walk, uh, seven earned runs, and one inning pitch. It's just absolutely insane what we did to Keuchel. I feel kind of bad for him after that, that outing. You know, uh, I mean, it'll happen. Stuff like this will happen. You know, so you look at, you know, it's a combination of of Keuchel missing his spots. Uh, He got no help from Anderson. And the the Guardians, you look from from their perspective, they got pretty much every positive result possible in the BABIP department. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Yes. And then for those that don't know at home, that's batting average for balls in play. They they were hitting at a ridiculous rate for you know batting average on balls in play, and mm-hmm. I think that really helped them out. I mean that's not something that holds up when you have a ridiculously high average in that department, but it's fun no. to see, especially one after another. I mean uh, the the death by a thousand paper cut strategy is always a lot of fun to watch when you're the team that's doing it. Uh yeah absolutely. Uh in hockey they refer to it as puck luck. Uh mm-hmm. we had we had. Plenty of puck luck in this game. It seems like every break that we could get, we caught. Um, and, and when you're struggling, like Keiko is struggling early on in the year, the last thing you want is the guys behind you to make errors. You know, and like every time Tim Anderson boots one, it's just like even more defeating. It's like, oh God, I'm never going to get out of this inning. Uh, and it ended up being the one inning from hell for him. You know, so 
It, it was. And, you know, the, the pitching for the Guardians really made out well in this because after two innings, uh, Shane Bieber was staked out to a 10 nothing lead. So pretty comfortable to pitch like that when you don't have all of the pressure in the world just sitting on your shoulders and thinking to yourself, am I going to get the Grom today? Yeah, and how nice is it, James, to have a Shane Bieber outing where we, he didn't get DeGrom today? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, to see run support for Shane Bieber is so, it's so, it gives me a little bit of optimism for this season for him because he's a guy that, for whatever reason, like, the bats just don't show up when he's on the mound. And I, some of that is just, you know, knowing that he's so good, you know, that you feel like some of the pressure's off. But, mm-hmm. yeah, he showed how good he can be when he's comfortable. And if we can get more early runs uh, from this young lineup, uh, it's going to result in him having much better success this year. Yeah, and he, he pitched great. Uh, over six innings, allowed just one run, four hits, seven strikeouts, zero walks for his first <laughs> win of the year. And then this number right here, 60 strikes on 86 pitches so he's in absolutely in command all day long yeah he looked really good had good command of the the strike zone and uh this nice little steady increase in pitches from start to start that's nice to see that effectiveness is not something that's you know waning as the game goes on right and that's something that we've seen early on in this major league season is that starting pitchers just aren't going that long you know all the guys everybody's on a pitch count um, and so for us to get six whole innings out of Shane Bieber this earlier in the year uh, and to not, you know, he didn't have to throw much more than he did last time. But like you said, you know, that little bit of progression, if we can get that every time out for these guys, you know, that's going to help us out in the long run. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you just brought that up. Uh, starting pitchers not going as deep early in the year. Uh, I believe entering either today or Friday, every single win for the Pittsburgh Pirates has come for a pitcher out of the bullpen. Oh my goodness! And the Pirates are seven and seven, aren't they? I think they're seven and seven, or they're seven and six. They're they're in that they're in that range. Every loss is for a starting pitcher. Every win is for a a, a bullpen arm. That's ridiculous. That, that is so ridiculous. That is one of the more uglier stats uh, you can see yeah. for a pitching staff. I mean, they're seven and seven now. So I, I'll double check that. But that was that was entering yesterday. Entering yesterday. Yeah. And uh, just real quick, I want to say like the dynamic between Cleveland and Pittsburgh, like because of the Browns and Steelers is like, it's so negative and toxic, but like, there's none of that with the guardians and the pirates, you know, I like everybody in Cleveland. I feel like roots for the pirates because they're not in our league. You know, they're another small market team that has owners that don't spend money. Um, it, am I alone in thinking that, or is that like, something that you've noticed too because i feel like a lot of people really like to see pittsburgh do well in the national league i think it's i think it's sympathy towards pittsburgh because it's a similar situation in regards of uh the spending but it's kind of amplified for the pirates compared to the guardians yes um yeah yeah uh, even goes to last night real quick uh win bullpen arm for the pittsburgh pirates that's hilarious (laughs) good for them every win Coming for a bullpen arm. Uh, you know, Jose Quintana goes 4.2 innings. Yeah, and while we're on the subject of bullpens and, you know, success early in the year, um, I saw a great graphic for the Guardians' bullpen this season. Um, so here's the numbers for our bullpen so far. Uh, they have a record of 4-3. and three, So mm-hmm. much like the Pirates, a lot of decisions came through the bullpen. But 4-3, and three, that's not great. But they have 53 innings pitched. And only 3.23 ERA. So very good. 
And then this one is really impressive because this is what you want from a bullpen. Uh, 50 strikes to just 15 walks. And, and that's the ratio that you want to see from the bullpen. Like when guys are coming in later in the game, like you want them to pound the strike zone, you know, and, and that's what our pitchers have done so far this year. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to highlight that because the bullpen's just been pretty, you know, overall pretty outstanding for us. The, the pitching staff as a whole I've been pretty impressed with, you know. Yeah. They, they haven't – they've only given up one game – that was really just completely atrocious, and that was the the final game in San Francisco there, but right. and, and that game was just that was just just weird. It was a weird it was game. A weird it, it didn't that go well, and it happens. There were some yeah, errors and whatever. It was also the first real like competition we have had this year, and like the end of that series, like it, you could tell it was kind of taking a toll on on some guys. It was, uh, but yeah, it was just a weird game, but um. Yeah, it's awesome to see the way that they bounce back. But yeah, I, I think to be expected from this, you know, the starting pitching, we knew what we were going to get from, you know, at least a couple of those guys. Whereas these new arms in the bullpen um, weren't really sure what we were going to see from them. And so far, like guys like uh, Stefan and Goes uh, have been really good. Yeah, I really don't have any complaints about uh, their their uh, pitching, especially their bullpen arms for the most part. I mean, Anthony Castro has been kind of whatever yeah, but yeah, i'm like I, I really didn't expect much out of anthony castro to be honest with you he was a guy who's just like all right he's here he's a guy that i expect to pitch in probably relatively meaningless situations yeah he's a guy that's just going to eat up innings uh, you know what they're going to use him when they can mm-hmm. <laughs> uh but yeah so yeah, yeah what not much was going to be expected from him to begin with but some of these other guys though i've been really impressed with yeah, you know, you, you see, you know, Eli Morgan serve a you know pretty important role early on. Uh, Trevor Steffen, Nick Sandlin, mm-hmm. you know, so it's it's been some good guys. You know, Sam Hentges is actually pitching well early on too in his limited capacity. He's appeared in five games, only has a two point oh eight ERA uh, compared yeah. to a point four six WHIP. So that's been nice to see. Uh, yeah, and good stuff from uh, Goes as well for uh, a guy that's a former position player. Um, I really didn't know what to uh, expect from him this year, but he's only got a 1.8 ERA, uh, and he's 1-0 on the year. He did get credited uh, with a win later on in the series. Yeah, so, so yeah. You, you know, with Goes, he's a nice guy to have in the uh, the bullpen because he provides the you know, 100 miles an hour from the other side of, you know, the other side of the plate, essentially, you know, with him right. being a lefty. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have Class A who throws over 100. Karen mm-hmm. Check can hit 100, but he's not uh, playing currently. Right. And to have a lefty that you can just go, you know, lefty out of the bullpen and have it go that way. I mean, some of the other lefties he had, you know, they've been very good pitchers, but it's been more on the breaking pitches where they've been most effective. You, you think Brad Hand, you think Andrew Miller, you know, the handful of games we saw at a Boone Logan before his year ended in 2017. Right. That's a name. That's a blast from the past that was <laughs> relatively forgotten. But Good baseball name, though. Yeah. Uh, so those guys were more, uh, Oliver Perez, another guy, just kind of, they're yeah. more, more breaking, not overpowered. So having the overpowered arm in ghosts is, is a nice change of pace, honestly. It really is. And, and like you said, the importance of having someone who can do it from the other side, you know, we've got all the right-handed arms that throw smoke. Like now we got a guy that can come from the other side. Um, and that's huge. You know, that's going to be really important for matchups, uh, later on in the season. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at the uh, the lineup here for you know just uh, the first 
game of this doubleheader against Chicago. Uh, the only guy that didn't get a hit that was a regular starter was Gabriel Arias in this game. Uh, Andres Jimenez came in later as a substitute, but he did not have an at-bat in the game. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, up and down the lineup, everybody pretty much hit, except for, you know, the rookie and Arias, but he had his moment later in the day. Uh, you know, he, he did get his first uh, career RBI, so he did drive home a run, um, but yeah, no hits on the day. But it, at least he contributed in some fashion. Yeah, he had a, he had an RBI. He did score a run as well, but he did not mm-hmm. uh, register a hit in the first game. But, 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 everyone, it was just a hit parade in this game. That was just great to see, honestly. It was a hit parade, and just everything you can want from a pitching staff, you know, six innings out of the starter, an inning out of Shaw, an inning out of Dale Santos, and an inning out of Hedges. Um, and and no, no runs given up by those last three guys, too. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, this is just by the book, like, how you want to approach um, a game as a pitching staff. Like, everybody came in and did their jobs. So that was good to see because sometimes when you get off to an early lead like that, you know, they were – up 10 nil uh, going into the third inning, you know, guys can get a little, a little lazy on the mound, you know, mm-hmm. and these guys did not, you know, they, they approached every hitter, you know, and you could tell everybody was laser focused this game and you have to be going into a series against Chicago. You really do. And really impressive pitching out of De Los Santos. Cause he was a, a call up because of uh, a few guys that ended up on the COVID IL. So he was kind of emergency COVID call up and he comes in, you know, Strikes out two, walks one, and is one inning of work. I mean, you really can't can't ask for more. You can't. He he pitched great. Um, I didn't know if we were going to see him or not, um, but it was awesome to see him come in and, and pitch an entire inning and get through it. And, you know, he had the one walk, but he got through it, you know, and mm-hmm. he got through the inning and looked really good. So, yeah, when, when you're struck with COVID like that and you have these guys that have to get called up, like, it's really hard to prepare for a game in the major leagues, but it's even harder when you have to commute from your minor league team and like get to the pro and all of that chaos. So for him mm-hmm. to come in and pitch well, uh, that was awesome because I wasn't expecting much out of him and I was impressed. Yeah, great to see, especially in a doubleheader day. Having a guy you call up on a doubleheader day and have him contribute, right. uh, you know, as a as a bullpen arm is extremely valuable. It is yeah. very, it is it's just so valuable. Because if you have a start like Keuchel did, you could blow through your entire bullpen in the first game, and then yep. you got another game later. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and actually, you know, the White Sox did get uh, four really good innings from Banks, um, you know, speaking of. So, you know, he yeah. came in in relief of Keuchel, and, and he pitched really well for a few innings, you know, before we got, you know, we started to get to him and then eventually got to the bullpen later in the game. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah. yeah. It's it's nice to see during doubleheader day when you when you can have a cu- guy come in and eat up innings. You know it's awesome. So you know we got that in the one inning from De Los Santos, which was crucial because you know that's that's one inning we can get from the next guy in game two. And that's that's what we needed in that game compared to compared to the first game because the second game was a lot closer. Uh, before you yes. wanted to, before we get to the second game, anything you would like to just mention about the first game before we move on? Uh, nice to see Quan bounce back in his one plate appearance with the hit. Um, you know, he, he got a, some time off cause he was on the hot streak and then he was, you know, kind of cooled off for a bit. And, uh, I think it was really important for him to come in situationally and have, have success like he did. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's my final thought on this game. Yeah. I'm with you there. I am definitely with you there. Uh, about Quan having him come back in, getting mm-hmm. the hit. It's great to see. So, yeah, huge for his confidence to go into this next game. Yes. 
great confidence builder. And uh, I, I think it helped a little bit because in game two, he did go one for four with a, a run scored in the game in a very close two-to-one contest. Uh, yeah, that run ended up being very, very important. Um, two-to-one contest, like you said, not not anything like the first game. Um, had to use some more arms in the bullpen. We didn't get quite as many innings out of McKenzie. Um, but overall, really good day from him. Uh, yeah, he, he did overall. You know, walks were still still an issue, which seems to kind of creep up every now and then. Walks seem to get to him, which led yes. to his 80 pitches and just four and a third. But he, he pitched well enough that, you know, could he have finished the fifth inning and ended up with a win? He was really close to doing that, honestly. He was close to doing that. And, and you're right, you know, he did have the issue with the walks. Um, he only 40 strikes on his 80 pitches, so his command was off. But mm-hmm. when your command is off like that, if, if you can get through the start and only give up one earned run, like that's a huge success. So I, I think he was really gritty in this performance, and that's something you want to see uh, from a guy like McKenzie early on in the year. You know, it, it's a division game against a, a rival in Chicago for him to just kind of get through his struggle instead of having to be yanked early like they had to do with Keuchel. Mm-hmm. Um, that paid off huge in the long run. So I think he, he fought in this game very well, even though it wasn't one of his better performances. Yeah, and you're right. You know, everything you said there, I can't really disagree with any of it. You know, it was all it was all just spot on. It was right. You know, McKenzie's a guy that we're going to see these type performances from now and then. We'll see the, you know, the, the games where he goes seven innings and strikes out ten and only gives up two hits. Yep. You know what I mean? So I, I think he's still working his way up too in the uh, in the uh, workload department. Sorry, uh, you know Josh Naylor is absolutely distracting me right now. Um, <laughs> complete ball of energy in the dugout. Yes. I apologize. Uh, Josh yeah. Naylor is incredible. It's nice to have him back and see him contribute in this series as well. Uh, yeah, he's he is quite quite the ball of energy when he gets going. Uh, in case anyone was wondering, we are recording during Saturday's uh, Guardians-Yankees game in the Bronx, and uh, Josh Naylor did just launch a ball into the short porch and right. Um. <laughs> beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I'm a big Josh Naylor guy. I was really concerned when I saw him go down with that injury, you know, what we were going to, how he bounced back from that, you know, and for him to have, like, this much success early on after that, I mean, absolutely brutal injury, mm-hmm. uh it's really huge. I think it's important for his his career moving forward to come back and immediately find success at the plate. Like, it's awesome. It's yeah. really awesome. We couldn't have hoped for better from from Naylor after such a gruesome injury. Mm-hmm. Yep, confidence is key there, and you know it seems like he has got a ton of confidence now. But he does not lack in that department. He's very <laughs> very confident in himself and in his play, and it, you can tell that's contagious. You know, and early on in this season, this is a group that really looks like they're having fun together. And they're feeding off each other and that energy. So, yeah, it's just really great to see. Yeah. So uh, before we talk more about Josh Naylor and what he did uh, <clears throat> later in this series here. Uh, yes, we got to get back to this White Sox. Very important series. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Anthony Ghost came in with the win in this game. He struck out four and won in uh, two-thirds of an inning. Then it was the Sandlin, Stefan, Classe, 7 8 9 uh, doing their job, only allowing two hits, one each for Sandlin and Stefan. Uh, Sandlin had the only strikeout between the three of them, but you know when Stefan and Classe combined to throw 13 pitches across two innings, you're not going to be too mad about it. 
Uh, no, absolutely not. Uh, that's exactly what you would want from these guys. And, uh, yeah, another example of the bullpen just doing their job, like, to a T, how you would want it done. You know, Sandlin comes in with the one inning of work, then Stefan with the next inning of work, and then Classe comes in for the save. Like, that's how it's done. You know, that's by the book. And when you can get performances out of those guys in a game that's this tight, uh, it's even more valuable, you know, because it's uh, it wasn't like the game before where they had the uh, the ten run advantage. Yeah, it was a very close game. You had to pretty much like walk a tightrope in this type of situation. And it, and again, you know, this is the second game of a doubleheader here, and the quick turnaround for the next day's game too. It could have a, a massive impact if the bullpen implodes, and they didn't implode. They did their job. I mean. Look at all the pitchers the White Sox used in this game. After uh, after Lambert came out of the game, they used five other arms. Lopez, Souza, Crick, Bummer, and Ruiz. Yeah, yeah, they, they burned quite a few arms in this game. So uh, it just, you know, stresses the importance even more of, like, how crucial it was to not use that many arms in game one. Uh, because we saw the White Sox have to deal with this. You know, they, they're burning through arms in this game, and... You know, when you still have another game in the series left, like it's not something you want. Uh, so, yeah, super, super great game for the Cleveland bullpen. And uh, White Sox pitching was, like you said, it was both sides were walking a tightrope this whole game. This mm-hmm. was never a game where the uh, outcome was, you know, certain. Um, it, it felt like it was, you know, razor's edge close until the very last inning. And, uh, yeah. Very impressive performance. Not so impressive performance in this game is Bobby Bradley going 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. Uh, uh, yes, uh, to be expected, unfortunately. But uh, that was a particularly bad outing. Um, uh, yeah, and <laughs> up to this point in the year, he had a batting average of 0.83, uh, and his slugging average was also 0.083. So no extra base hits, just the one hit on the year. Uh, and he continues to strike out in about 50% of his plate appearances. So, yeah, he's not off to a great start. Uh, I've said it before. I said it again. What the hell is this guy doing on the roster? I don't know. Uh, I, I have zero clue. Uh, if his purpose was a body and a second game of a doubleheader, sure. But he's, yeah. he's played more games than just this game. And this is just more of the same when it comes to him. Like, where is the, I guess, the widespread, like, Twitter outrage that Bobby Bradley still occupies a spot in the, in the roster and occasionally makes a you know an appearance in the lineup because uh, everyone did everything they wanted to to run Jake Bowers out of town. I haven't heard shit about people wanting to get Bradley out of here. That's a really interesting point, you know, because because you're right. Twitter was full of vitriol uh, for getting Bowers out of town, and you know now with Bradley, it's it's few and far between, you know, you don't hear many people complaining about it. And I don't particularly know what the reason why for that is. I, I really don't. I mean, maybe because Bradley's not playing every day. They did play Jake Bowers every day to try and like, uh, you know what? That's probably that, something but, to do with it. But like Bradley's playing worse than Jake Bowers ever did. Okay. Yes. I'm sorry. Like Jake Bowers at least got on base occasionally. Bradley's not even doing that. Like, no. uh, is no. Jake Bowers good? No. Did I want him to be good? Of course. You know, but like Bradley, I never thought was going to be much of anything. I'm like at his best. He's like low rent Russell Brannion. And right now he's like not even close to being that. No, he. it's sad when you don't deserve to be in the same breath as Russell Brannion. But at this stage of his career, Bobby Bradley doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Yeah, no walks on the year either. You know, he's Kang a lot. He's not walking at all. Uh, the one hit he has on the year is the only time he's been on base, period. Uh, so you're right. You know, Bowers, he at least got on base, you know. So it, it's we're not seeing much of anything from Bradley right now. Uh, and in a game where he was in the five spot, you know, like he was just a black hole in the middle of this lineup. And, you know, a game that we only won by one run, that, you know, his performance – it could have hurt us, but, you know, we were lucky enough to win this game by the one run. Um, so I think that that's part of it, too. It seems like he gets lucky in the games where he goes out there and goes over four with two or three Ks. It seems like we get the win somehow. In that game, we in that game, uh, the Guardians did. But uh, their record this year when when Bobby Bradley is starting is 0-4. Um, okay, so that excuse does not work. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. He's he's one and four. They're one and four with Bradley as a starter in the lineup. Uh, right. They so won, the, that... they won the, the White Sox game. They've lost four other games where they had a combined run total in those losses of three. Yeah. I mean, we're. I, I know it's early in the year, but we're in first place in the division. And for a guy that's played five games and he's only won one, it's like, uh, yeah, this might. Be the, like that's correlation, you know. Like you could definitely see a correlation between those two things. I mean, one and four, and when the team overall was seven and five going into today, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it's that bad. Like that over four with two or three strikeouts, like it really does. It kills all of the momentum that your offense gets in the batting order when you have a guy that you know is just going to get out every time he's up to bat. I mean the the only games that they the only game that they won was this one the two to one win over the White Sox where he was the starter. The only right. other game that they won that he's appeared in was the seventeen to three Royals game where he didn't even have an at bat. He came in late in the game. Right, and then the other thing too is he hasn't been particularly good in the field either. Oh no, he's um, been a disaster in the field. Right, so at this point he's not doing anything well. He's really not. But we'll have more on, on, on Bobby Bradley uh, and when we get to the first game of this Yankees series. But uh, let's move on to the final game of the White Sox series here. Uh, it was... Yeah, not, not um, much to talk about in that second game, so... No, they, they won. Uh, the, bullpen, the bullpen did their job, and, you know, they, they managed to get the job done, so... Right. This next game, much more to talk about in this one. There is a lot more to talk about because we have... We got some very exciting production out of some very key players here. Uh, yeah, up and down the lineup, um, very key players with the production. Uh, I mentioned Josh Naylor earlier. He had a fantastic game at first base. Yeah, Josh Naylor with two for four. He had two uh, runs driven in, scored a run himself, had a double. Mm-hmm. You like seeing that. Yeah, you love to see that. And, and he's you know right there in the middle of that lineup in the sixth spot, you know. So right where Bobby Bradley usually is, you know, he's filling that same role. And you know, it's great to see him do well, especially with, you know, Owen Miller being out with the, the COVID. It was like, you know, we want somebody to be able to come in and play that first base where Bobby Bradley does and produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so far, we got that from Owen Miller and we've got that from Josh Naylor. And hopefully that continues uh, so that we don't have to keep justifying uh, inserting Bobby Bradley into a major league lineup. Yeah, I mean, when you see the offense completely change from from one start to the next in terms of production and run scoring and, you know, not having uh, someone like Bradley who strikes out a lot and going, Mm -hmm. you know, hitless again. I mean, because, you know, 
the occasional guy that's, you know, good will have a an off game that's going to go, you know, 0 for 4, 1 for 5, you know, if he's having right. a bad day. And, and the, the Bradley game, the, the, the night game before, Rosario was 0 for 4. And then right. you, you pencil in the for sure 0 for 4 from Bradley, that just, that's, that's a, just a rally killer. Yeah, absolutely. And, and especially when one of the other guys we know we have to use often is Austin Hedges, and you mm-hmm. know you're not going to get production out of that nine spot. So now when you're talking about you got Hedges in the nine spot, he ain't doing shit, and then you have to put Bobby Bradley in the middle of the lineup, it's like you've got two black holes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that you, you almost can't play those two guys at the same time. They can't play in the same game at the same time. You, you really can't. And that's sad because that's at the time, you know, at this moment, that's our starting catcher. And, you know, we really need Bradley right now with uh, Owen Miller being out. I mean, Naylor just returning to, you know, just returning to being healthy. Yeah, I don't I don't know how much they're going to continue to play Bradley, although he has made another appearance since this White Sox series. But I mean, Josh Naylor's just tearing the cover off the ball right now. So, uh, you know, yeah. Hopefully that continues, and you know we have fewer discussions about Bobby Bradley because uh, I'm not too optimistic that they'll turn and end up being positive one of these days. I've just run out of all faith in this guy. I, I mean, I don't know why we're even you know we have to even entertain him being on the roster. I mean, talking about Bobby Bradley, he's the Richard Higgins of the the Cleveland Guardians. Okay. Oh my God, that's such a good comparison. It, that's what he is. That's what he is. He's- a guy we absolutely despised talking about all football season. Yeah, that's a very good comparison. <laughs> like the the guy is nothing special. I'm sorry. Like, no. I, I like in you see arguments uh, among Guardians Twitter because you know mm-hmm. Guardians Twitter does exist. <laughs> uh, it doesn't get the uh, the attention Browns Twitter is because they don't attack each other like that in uh, the right. horrible ways that they do. But. Not Guardians Twitter does exist. It, yeah. It, it, it does exist, and it is a thing. Um, and, yeah, you, like you said earlier, it's funny that Bobby Bradley doesn't come up all that much. So, uh, it, But if he keeps doing that, you know, if he keeps going out there and going 0 for 4 with 2K, it's, like, it, it's, it's going to happen eventually. Like, people are going to start clamoring for this guy to be out of town. Yeah, so let's talk about the pitching in this game. Uh, yeah, let's do that. We got an <laughs> excellent outing from Zach Blesak here. He... You know, goes six and two-thirds, uh, allows seven hits, two runs come across, one is earned, one walk, three strikeouts. Great game by Plesak, you know. He's not a guy that you're going to, you know, expect to go out there and get 10Ks. He's a, more of a pitch-to-contact guy himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you know, going against a, a White Sox lineup that, you know, hasn't been that great to start the season, but they've definitely got some great hitters in that lineup that, you know, we expect to warm up eventually. Um, so yeah, for, for him to go six and two thirds innings against this White Sox lineup and only give up the one and run, uh, that's a really great, great performance from Plesak. Especially out of, uh, you know, a pitcher who struggled at times against the White Sox to have him to be able to have this type of outing and just, yeah, he's one of those guys you circled going into the series. Like, oof, uh, we, I didn't, wasn't too excited about this matchup going into it. Uh, that's the C's first Plesak matchup. Like if I had to put money on this game. I, I probably would have been at you know betting on Dylan C- or on Cease because yeah. he's he's proven much more than Plesak at this point. Yeah, but Guardians got to Cease. They scored four runs off of eight hits and just five and a third off of him. Yeah, and only the three Ks too. Yeah, and, and that's kind of been the story for Guardians hitters. Like we're not striking out a ton, you know, outside of Hedgie and Bradley. 
um, we're hitting the contact, you know, and, and that's what we did to Cease, too. Mm-hmm. Yep, and uh, after Plesak, it was Trevor Steffen and Emmanuel Classe. No Nick Sandlin needed in this game. Yeah, wasn't necessary, and that was awesome. And to get the hold from Steffen was huge. Uh, you know, he did have the three Ks and just the one and a third innings of work. Mm-hmm. Um, really effective uh, performance from him. Uh, and then that set the table for uh, Class A to come in and shut the door, too. So another hold from the uh, bullpen, which is awesome. Yeah, for, it's, it's great to see Class A get the back-to-back saves in, in back-to-back games. Because, you know, it, really. it took him a minute to get into the position for the saves. And, you know, he did have a couple losses uh, tacked on to him. You yeah, know, but good it, to see. It's re- really good to see because um, he's a guy, too, you know, just signing the contract, too, that you really hope to to get, you know, better production from him moving forward. Like you said, it took him a while to settle into this role. Um, so I still think that he's growing. You know, I still think mm-hmm. that he's getting better in that saving role. Um, so, yeah, to get two saves in a row against a division rival, uh, absolutely great to see from Class A. Yeah, and you know, with with Class A and him having a couple non save appearances, and how much we despise closers and non save situations. I mean, we saw how much more comfortable he looked in this situation, did he, we not? In both save opportunities, he looked so yep. much better. It, it was yep. it's a completely different pitcher. He, yeah, this is this highlights exactly what we've been saying about you know closers in non-save situations and why it's not good and for him to come out and then pitch like this and back-to-back save situations it it i mean it just goes to show we were just talking about it he went out there and showed that that's exactly what was going on so um yeah it's good to see him get it straightened out and uh look really really comfortable in that closing role in both those games and that's that's essential that that's gonna it's gonna make a huge difference moving forward if you have a, a team that has a shaky closer. Oh, God. Uh, I mean, jeez. I mean, imagine, you know, being Frank the Take with uh, Edwin Diaz out over oh, in Queens. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it makes all the difference in the world, too, when you can get the save and it not be one that raises everybody's blood pressure in the building. You know what I mean? To just come out and slam the door instead of, like, uh, walks the first batter. Oh, here we go. Now the tying runs come to the plate, and it's just like, oh, God. Even when you get those saves, it can, like, take a lot out of you. And we didn't have any of that. You know, he just went in and closed the door. You know, there was never any doubt. So It, it makes a world of difference. It really does. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> anything else on this White Sox uh, Guardian series before we move on? Uh, good to see Fran Mill start to contribute because he, he was the guy I've been starting to worry about. I was wondering when he would start to heat up. Uh, but yeah, he had the two hits uh, on three at-bats in this game and the two RBIs. So it was good to see uh, him produce in this game. It, it was his uh, first home run of the, the season in this series as well. Yep, first home run, uh, and it came off of Cease in the third. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really good to see him uh, get a home run off of a really good pitcher. And I think Fran Mill is at his best when he's driving the ball the other way. And uh, this was a, a, it was right center. So it was an oppo home run for him. So, um, yeah, I think that, that that gave me a little bit of hope for him moving forward because uh, he really drove that ball nice the other way and just hit it where it was pitched. I, I like to see when guys can drive the ball the other way because it tells me one thing. It tells me that they're not too pull happy. 
Yep. And uh, it's when guys get pull happy that you see them strike out a lot, that you see them hit a ton uh, fouling early, then end up striking out in some breaking ball pitch down and away. Yep. And that's something that, like, from time to time, even Jose struggles with, you mm-hmm. know, and and he's a guy that's been at top feet, top five in the MVP conversation for five years running now. So even him, you know, mm-hmm. there's times when he's really pull happy. Um, and, and he's just, you know, smoking the ball, but it's just not even, you know, it's roped foul. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we saw him hitting the ball well the other way as well. So both of those guys are driving the ball the other way. Uh, it seems to be a focus uh, from the, the hitting coaching staff on this team uh, to let let pitches get deeper into the zone and drive the other way. It, it really does look like it's been a focus of this team because multiple people are doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're seeing more than one guy just do it. You know, you, you mentioned Jose. Jose seems to be uh, uh, driving the ball everywhere. Not just he's pulling. on fire. Right? No, no, he, yeah, all over the park. Uh, and he did have the home run, the opposite field home run too. And that's really rare for Jose. He pulls all of his home runs. Yeah, when you see the Apo Taco from Jose Ramirez, <laughs> you you know, you know it's a rarity. Yeah, that was awesome to see. And and now he's you know he's already. Grand slam from both sides of the plate this early in the year. He's got he's got three he's got three slams on the year. Yeah, three slams, one from each side of the plate. So I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. He's he's leading the league in RBIs still, and uh, he's not slowing down. He hasn't shown any signs of slowing down. Not a whole lot. And you know, speaking of not showing uh, any signs of slowing down, um, Miguel Cabrera. Yes. And I alluded to this at the beginning of the pod here. Yes. Uh, Aaron Boone is a coward. (laughs) Okay. Go ahead. Set the table for us and and explain why. All right. So Miguel Carrera comes up to the plate. He has 2,999 hits. There are men on second and third. And I believe there was two outs in the inning. Mm -hmm. So instead of pitching to Miguel Carrera, he decides that he's going to pitch to... Austin Meadows. And you have a problem with that. Uh, my problem is with the decision to not pitch to Miguel Cabrera with two outs in the inning. Because mm. you know why? It comes off as you don't want to give up his 3,000th hit is what it comes it, off as. It doesn't seem like a, we have a game-to-win strategy. It seems like <laughs> I'm concerned about the Yankees being on the wrong side of history here in a replay that's going to get shown forever. So... They give Miguel Cabrera the intentional walk. Comerica Park predictably boos. Mm-hmm. Okay. As, you know, even if I was there, I probably would have booed Aaron Boone as well. The The final score of this game was 3 nothing, correct? Yes. And you know how those other two runs came across the score? No. How's that? Uh, Austin Meadows hit a bloop double to center field that allowed Robbie Grossman and Jonathan Scope to score. And the oh, first wow. pitch immediately after walking Miguel Cabrera. Oh, that's hilarious. That, that's right. Yeah. So did not pay off. The strategy uh, bit them in the butt immediately. Um, I personally didn't have as much of a problem with it, but it definitely comes off exactly like you're saying. Like Boone doesn't want to be on the wrong side of history. But in in a game that was that close at the time, and you're facing one of the best pure hitters to ever play the game of baseball. I don't necessarily think it was the wrong baseball call. But here, um, my problem really is this. 
you think of the last guys to you know hit 3,000 hits. It was Beltre a couple of years ago, but if you think a little bit longer, mm-hmm. Derek Jeter mm-hmm. got an absolute batting practice meatball that he proceeded to hit for a walk-off home run for his 3,000th hit. That's funny. I forgot about that. It, that was kind of like the, the Brett Favre uh, letting Strahan sack him moment to get the record. It felt very much like that. They grooved some nothing pitch that Jeter drove for his 3,000th hit in a walk-off home run. And so what you're saying is the Yankees get, there's kind of a double standard. Here. There's a double standard, and that's what I don't like about this. Okay, so that I'm on board with. Okay. Totally, yeah, I'm on board with that. You're totally correct. Um, but in terms of the call and Aaron Boone, like I, I don't know that it was a bad managerial decision. I think it was the right call in that moment. So um, I look at I look at Mickey's stat line this day. He was 0 for three with two strikeouts. Right, which you struck him out twice. You only got to get one more to get out of the inning. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it, early on in the season, you know, in a game that's not all that important yet. Uh, you would love to see Boone just pitch to him. You know, give him a chance. Mm-hmm. He's over three. You'd, you'd love to see that happen. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, I'm, I don't have a problem with it from a strategic standpoint. I have more of a problem with it that it's so early in the year. Um, he was over three on the day. And, you know, it's in front of his home crowd. Like, it's it's a cool opportunity for those fans to see history. So, yeah, you do feel like you robbed fans of that opportunity. So I would definitely be upset if I was in attendance. But just, like, the baseball player in me is like, you know what? I'd probably want my manager to do the same in that situation. Again, from a strategical standpoint, sure, it, it makes sense. But, you know, at the same time, we're living in a world where Joe Madden's walking Corey Seager with the bases loaded. And Aaron uh, Boone's afraid to pitch to Miguel Cabrera with two outs in the in the inning. Touche, my friend. That's When you put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> when you put it that way. You know what I mean? But good, good news, though. Uh, not only did the Yankees lose that game, okay, because mm-hmm. uh, karma's a bitch, but... Uh, Miggy did get his 3,000th hit today. Great news. He joins an exclusive club mm-hmm. of not only the 3,000 hit 500 homer club, a club that's even more exclusive than that. The only players in Major League Baseball history with 3,000 hits, 500 homers, and a 300 career batting average, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, and now Miguel Cabrera. God damn, that's some good company to be in if you're on, or if you're at Cabrera. I mean, can you be mentioned in the same breath with better names than that? You uh, really can't. No. So, like some of these clubs, like statistically, you you could find these clubs that are small and kind of manipulate numbers and this and that. But this one in particular, like, no, this is super legit. Like that is incredibly difficult to do. All three of those statistical categories, um, and to be in the same breath with as you know, two people who are arguably on the Mount Rushmore baseball. Um, it's amazing. So yeah, it, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because I, I didn't see that part of the club. I did see that the 3000 hit 5,000 or I'm sorry, 3000 hit 500 home runs club, but mm-hmm. I did not see that one yet. So yeah, that's so really cool. Very impressive uh, accomplishment for Miguel Cabrera. And I do think that there are some people uh, you know, you mentioned uh, the Mount Rushmore. We did have our little back and forth Mount Rushmore conversation through text the other day. We uh, did. 
I, I do think there's a valid case for some people to put Miguel Cabrera on the Mount Rushmore of baseball players. Uh, I personally wouldn't, but I think there's an argument for why someone would. I'm not going to lie to you. It ran through my head. But when it, you know, it was one of the first names that came to mind. Ultimately, no, I don't put him in there. But, I mean, for my lifetime, talk about a guy that I've just seen do more. You know, just the amount of excellence we've seen from him and how consistent it's been for this long. It was like he was definitely one of the first current generation players that came to mind. Um, so, yeah, he, he is one of the best pure hitters of all time to ever play the game. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with a lot of that. I mean, he's just, he's been so good for his entire career. It's so impressive. What was his worst batting average? I want to, like, because he's he's only got a couple seasons that he didn't hit 300, am I correct? He's only, he's got a handful and they're all recent. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, You know, his rookie, his rookie year, his second year, you know, his rookie year, he hit 268. His second year, he hit 294. But from then, it, it was... You know, 323, 329, 329, 329-328-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-342-
at just what he's done over the course of his career. And, you know, you speak of his career batting average of being 310. His career on base percentage is 387. Yeah. It's just absolutely insane. Um, and then he also had the year where he won the Triple Crown, which is absolutely incredible as well. You know, that's something that's super rare uh, in recent memory, at least. You know, not a lot of guys winning the Triple Crown for, uh, you know, average home runs and whatnot. And he's done that. Uh, average home runs, RBIs. He is one of the very few people to have done that, too. So he's just a guy that, like, when you look at his resume, he's done everything from MVP to World Series champ to to the ridiculous numbers. Uh, it's a club he earned his way into, that's for sure. It, it really is. You know, he was the first guy to have the Triple Crown since Carl Yastrzemski back in the 60s. Uh, so it's not very common much anymore. It was something that was mm-hmm. a lot more common back then and before then. But not right. very common now. But you want to hear something absolutely crazy? He has yes. a career 919 OPS, right? Oh, my God. He has not had an OPS over 900 since 2016. And it's still at 919. Uh, I was going to say, with the, the past couple seasons, the numbers you just rattled off, it was like, that has to be lower now. Um, but, yeah, that it speaks volumes that it's still that high uh, with him being the age that he is now and, and seeing a little bit of a dip in production, it's still a ridiculous number. It's still a ridiculous number. He's still a ridiculous player. Uh, congratulations to Miguel Cabrera. Uh, One of the best to ever do it. He really is. He, you talk about first ballot, no doubt, Hall of Famers. He's one of them. Yep, absolutely. No argument from me there. And I don't think I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that would disagree with that, too. The biggest, like, Miguel Cabrera hater in the world or, you know, one of those clowns that when they when it's uh, Hall of Fame ballot time, they only vote one person that's somebody uh. stupid that's never going to get in out of <laughs> just being like, hey, it's a look-at-me ballot. Like, yeah. I'm going to vote for one person, and it's going to be Kurt Schilling. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> some kind of political statement. Or I'm voting for one person, and it's Barry Bonds. Or, right. you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah, that does happen from time to time. And it's just like, come on. But at least we've seen the, the unanimous people in now. That barrier's finally been broken. Yeah. Because that yeah, was the, the longest nonsense tradition in, in Baseball Hall of Fame voting. Nobody can be unanimous. Not even Babe Ruth was unanimous. So nobody can. Like, uh, I didn't like that either. It's like if a guy deserves to be in, he deserves to be in. Like if you're all experts and you all have a vote, like you should honor that vote. But You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like to, to just – intentionally make sure that guys aren't unanimous was silly um so i'm glad that that's been you know shattered as well yeah there's been there was those guys there was the other guys thinking this guy doesn't need my vote to get in so i'm going to use my vote to help someone stay above the five percent threshold because that was a thing yeah it's you know there's many problems with the process and it's not perfect but um he's a guy that is just so good and transcends the sport on so many levels that, like, you don't have to worry about him not making it in. He's never going to have a doubt. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very, very true. But uh, with that, we trans, uh, let's say transform, but we... Transition. Guess, transition. That's there the word. Go. I'm like... That's a word. I'm like, that's a word. Transform's <laughs> close. It's not quite right. But transition uh, to the next series, which does involve the Yankees. It does uh, indeed. So, Guardians, Yankees, they played Friday night, and Aaron Judge had to do all of the horrible Aaron Judge things he does and hit two home runs. Uh, yeah, Aaron Judge had a great game. Um, 
But yeah, not this one was less than stellar from the uh, offense, I would say. But they still managed to get the nine hits on the day, you know, even though they only had the one run. Um, so they weren't totally anemic this game, but uh, it wasn't what we've been used to seeing uh, from you know the past couple series. I mean, you're right, and you know you see, you know, Miles Straw go 0 for four. That stinks. Jose Ramirez yeah. was 0 for four. But, you know, then you got the black hole of Bobby Bradley's 0 for 3 with three strikeouts at the seventh spot in the order. Yeah, that sucks. Got, yeah, and then Lavastida, you know, he did get his first career hit, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. But he's another guy that you know isn't going to rake. You know what I mean? Like, you, you can't expect production from that. Uh, and so when you're playing a team like the Yankees and guys like, you know, Miles Straw and Jose Ramirez have bad games— those are the guys who need some production from, you know, those mm-hmm. are the people that, that need to step up and, and fill their role. And we didn't see that from any of the uh, supporting cast in this game. Yeah. You, you need the supporting cast to pick up your, your key guys when they don't have a good game. And they, they really didn't for the most part. Uh, you mentioned Lava Stita getting his first hit. The good thing about Lava Stita's slash line is he gets on base. His 267 on base percentage is 200 points higher than Bobby Bradley's. And that's super important. You know, at least he's getting on base. At least he's contributing to the offense in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that is that is a really good point that his on-base percentage is not that bad considering his batting average is only .083. Yeah, it's it's, it's uh, way below the Mendoza line. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's but, better hey, than Bobby I mean, Bradley's. <laughs> but when you're a hitter that's struggling, you know, that that's what you want. You know, change your approach. Be patient at the plate. Take everything they're going to give you. Um, and so for him to get enough walks to raise that OBP that much uh, does show that he's at least got, you know, a better approach at the plate. He's at least seeing the ball somewhat well if he's still able to work walks. It's not just nothing but strikeouts. Exactly. Yeah, that's the the point I was making. He's, he's at least showing us something. Yeah. And, you know, not the Bobby Bradley over three. Not to bitch about Bobby Bradley again, but it is notable. It, is, it notable. is notable. Yeah. And, you know, we had another great game from Stephen Kwan. He did have the two hits. So, you know, he, he's been amazing per usual. Um, but, yeah, you know, two hits from Naylor, which was great. But, yeah, the, the offer from Ramirez, the offer um, from Bobby Bradley, and then, you know, Andre Jimenez only had the one hit from the nine spot. Uh, Mercado pitch hit for Bradley and he struck out. So just nobody, every you know anybody you were looking to for a hit, we weren't getting it from. Yeah, they just weren't able to to string hits together enough to make the the Yankees pay. I mean, because the only run they scored was off of uh, Framiel's second home run of the year. Right, yeah, which again, great to see him starting to hit the ball better. Um, he did have the home run, and that was the only offensive production the Guardians got this game. Um, interesting approach from a pitching staff though, with kind of a. I imagine it, the idea was to do like a split start between Morgan and Allen. Um, that that's kind of how it seemed to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, or do you think that that's just kind of how it played out? I think it might be a little bit how they played out. I think they kind of used Eli Morgan in a kind of pseudo opener role because he only mm-hmm. pitched three innings. He you know he pitched fifty one pitches. It's not like he had a high pitch count necessarily over three innings. Fifty one is on the higher side, but. You know, with Eli Morgan... It's not enough to raise any alarms or anything like that. No, it's it's not like the Dallas Keuchel start in the White Sox series. Exactly. Um, you know, but it, it seemed like they had him in kind of an opener role to see, you know, what they could get out of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Logan Allen was probably... They probably wanted him for two, but they only got one inning out of him. 
Yeah, but he struggled to get through that one inning. He did throw 28 pitches. So I feel like they wanted to get more out of him but didn't get it. You're, I think you're right there. You look, they got you know four innings out of Tanner Tolley and Connor Pilkington, two guys that um, you would probably ask the, the average fan, who are these people? And they'd say, I have no idea who the hell you're talking about. Uh, yeah, those are a couple brand new names for a lot of people. Um, I, I thought uh, Pilkington looked good with just the two hits, but um, Tully looked like he really struggled for a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he did give up the, the second Aaron Judge homer. Right. And that was a no-doubter, too. Yeah, I mean, of course Aaron Judge decides he's going to start hitting home runs when the Guardians come to town. Um, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, he's a guy that you always knew was going to warm up eventually. I, I think he was kind of a, one of the victims of having the short in spring. Um, but he seems to, by all means, be uh, warming up for the Yankees. He does. And, you know, we look at the the pitching in this one. Jamison Tyon uh, for the Yankees. He allowed seven hits in the five innings. Just the one earned run, five strikeouts. Then you look at Michael King. Michael King shut down this Guardians lineup for his three innings of work. Eight strikeouts in three innings. He looked incredible. 31 strikes on 42 pitches. Uh, he he was you know pretty untouchable. We did get the one hit and that was it off him. But like you said, eight Ks in three innings of work is just remarkable. Uh, you know what? Um, know what this impresses me more than the immaculate inning that Nestor oh, Cortez uh, had. <laughs> yeah, Nestor Cortez's nine pitch, three strikeout immaculate inning bullshit. This impresses me more than Cortez's immaculate inning because uh, I agree with you. I agree with you. He had to, you know, strike out the side twice. Right. And he got two more strikeouts. Yeah, and he does three innings of work. So, I mean, at least he's pitching 33% of the game, not one inning of it, you know. Uh, that's what I don't understand about the, the immaculate inning celebrations. It's just like the only one inning of pitching you could celebrate, in my opinion, is the ninth. You know, and that's if you get the uh, the save. And, and speaking but, of, Aroldis Chapman came on for the ninth and got the save. He couldn't recreate his meltdown in game seven of 2016 for us uh wouldn't wouldn't that have been nice that, um, that would have been nice to see him give up a, a home run and him have that goofy ass smile he has when he loses a game yeah <laughs> he's already up to four saves on the year so chapman's off to a really good start yeah i mean it seems like as, as time's gone on since 2016 he does seem more prone to giving up the the game-winning hit or what turns yeah. out to be the game-winning you know hit Mm-hmm. more often than not i mean he's still an effective closer don't get me wrong yeah i agree he, you know he's not like untouchable like he you know once upon a time he was one of the most feared pitchers in baseball um he's definitely not that anymore he's not i mean i mean right now he still does have a, a zero era era on the season so still still impressive performance but it seems like right. you know there are there are uh i don't want to say weaknesses but there are signs of longevity effectiveness kind of waning yeah. a little bit uh, i would agree i would say that his better days are definitely behind him um that's not to say he's not effective like i said he's already got the four saves and like you've just mentioned no earned runs yet on the year um but it is still super early you know so it, we'll have to wait and see how this holds up for the rest of the season but it, i mean if the yankees can get anything like they've gotten out of chapman for the first part of the season um that's really gonna um help them make a run Mm-hmm. It's it's definitely gonna help them a lot, you know. And Classe reminds me so much of Chapman too. Like that, it, it really he feels so similar to me. So like I, I want to see 
Class A have success and seeing Chapman do well, uh, it, it gives me reason for hope because I feel like they're similar type uh, closers. Yeah, they do have similar, you know, uh, abilities, similar kind of style. You know, very mm-hmm. yeah, they have triple digit fastball. They got you know another pitch with movement that has velocity and right. It's just it's very impressive. Yes, they're more intimidating than a lot of pitchers. You know, bigger framed guys that throw absolute smoke and just overpower you, um, and have just enough movement on their stuff. It's really really hard to hit. It it's it's uh, it can only be. A complete nightmare to face these guys in the box. I mean, yeah, I can't even imagine. I no, I can't either. It sounds uh, unen- unenviable situation. Let me put it that way. I would agree with that one hundred percent. You you do see a lot more guys hitting the, the hundred mile per hour mark these days than you did in the past. So it's not quite as shocking as it once was to have a guy come in and throw one hundred one, one hundred two. Um, but it's still intimidating. I don't care what anybody says. Even if it's getting more and more common, it's still intimidating as hell when you go in and a guy's throwing that hard. Yeah, it, it has to be. It, even yeah. though you probably have like three other guys in your bullpen that do the same thing, but it's, exactly. it's still it's still intimidating. It's still hard to hit, you know. So it still is. Uh, so right now, the the Guardians and Yankees, it's, they're in the bottom of the seventh inning of Game Two mm-hmm. of this series. They are tied two two. Josh Naylor did have his two-run home run in this game, uh, which is the only runs the Guardians have scored. The Yankees scratched across a couple runs later to tie it at two. And as I'm speaking, Josh Donaldson just hit a solo shot home run. (laughs) God damn it. I just saw it as well. Uh, That was a moon ball. Uh, So we're probably going to be seeing Chapman here again in this game. But uh, Yeah, more than likely we'll get to see him again. Um, Hopefully him having to to pitch yesterday is going to have a little bit of an impact and we'll be able to get to him because we did not get to him yesterday. Yeah. And that really stinks for Quantrill. He's up to 80 pitches right now and he just gave him a solo shot. I can't imagine he's going to be pitching much longer after this. Uh, Quantrill uh, knew it as yeah. soon as Donaldson hit it, it was gone. How awesome is it to see a guy still out there in the bottom of the seventh inning though, you know, in Quantrill. So, uh, you know, this wasn't a complete failure of a start for him by any means. No, and it's good to see him, uh, you know, build up, you know, go deeper into games. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he just gave up a, a, a single here to Aaron Hicks. Uh, Tito better be coming out with the hook now with one out in the inning. Yeah, it's time. Yeah, it's time. Yeah, back-to-back back hits. Yeah, it's it's time. Yeah, well, we'll have to put a pin in this game and come back to it because uh, it's a close one. It, it, one is, it is a close one. Uh, you want to talk about Sunday's game? Yeah, let's do that. All right, Sunday's game, it's Aaron Savale versus uh, crybaby Garrett Cole. Um, oh, God. He's, he's the worst. Um, well, let me ask you this. Cole's really struggling to start the season. What do you expect to see from him tomorrow? Well, you know, if you base it off trends, you base it off of, uh, you know, how he's been performing this year, you would say, hey, this is a, a good time for the, the Guardians to take advantage of a, a pitcher who seems to be off his game and seems to be struggling. But, you know, yes. I, I look at, at the other way and being like, I'm looking at the data of previous uh, players here, and uh, pretty much anyone not named Jose Ramirez is, you know, three for 45 in their career against him. Mm, that's not good. So I look at that, and I'd be like, well, you know, the way things work in 
the way uh, karma usually comes to Cleveland baseball, this is going to be the game where they, you know, strike out a gajillion times and Garrett Cole allows, <laughs> you know, no runs over eight innings with 12 strikeouts. Uh, yeah, it, it could definitely go that way. But uh, if you ask me, this is exactly when you want to uh, play against a guy like Garrett Cole. When he's going through something like he's going through now, like this is your best chance to get to him. So, you know, with all that being said, like, even though, yeah, there is a chance we go out and, you know, he K's 12 batters and looks dynamite and gets back on track, I really feel a little more optimistic about tomorrow's game than I did earlier this season when we, we knew we would probably see him at least once in this Yankee series. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at Garrett Cole, he has, I would say he's performed up and down this entire year. He was... Not even passable in the first start against the Red Sox. He allowed three no. runs on four hits in what turned out to be a 6-5 to five win over Boston. But the, the the Toronto series, he allowed three hits, or four mm-hmm. hits, three runs, two of them were home runs, and five and two yeah. thirds. So at least he almost went six innings in that game, but that was a loss. Then there was the right. complete disaster performance for him in Detroit, where he walked five batters in one and two-thirds of an inning. Not good. Not good at all. And, you know, somehow the Yankees won that game. They had no business winning that game. But He's got so lucky. They've scraped away a couple wins that he had really bad days with. And, and that last one was just, like, alarming to me. Just being like, what the hell is happening? If, if, he's, if he's having control issues and having a hard time with the zone, then, mm-hmm. then, then maybe with the, the new approach the Guardians have at the lineup, they'll be able to do something similar work some walks then maybe you know get some guys in scoring position drive them in with a single or something yeah that's i mean that's what i'm thinking that's what the approach has to be tomorrow is like you know make him work make him get in the strike zone if he's having command issues you know take him deep in counts that's exactly what you want to do um but you know that if if he's leaving stuff down the middle down the pipe you need to make sure you're you know ready to take advantage and capitalize on that because he's a guy that you don't know how many of those, you know, meatballs over the plate you're going to see against him. Um, so, yeah, if he's off his game, I hope we're ready to swing. I mean, they better be. Like, of the, let's see, he's given up nine hits this season. Three of them are mm-hmm. home runs. Yeah, not good. I mean, that's that's not a lot of data there, but it's, it's, it's right. noteworthy. <laughs> Three yeah. of the nine hits are home runs that he's allowed. There are some pitchers that, you know, they do give up a lot of home runs, and usually they're guys that strike out a ton of people, you know. Mm-hmm. They, but, yeah, it's something you can live with, but you don't want to see it when you're also having other issues. Um, and he's kind of had the worst of both worlds. You know, he's had the, the game with the five walks where he had no command, and then he's had games where he's not walking guys, but they're hitting everything over the over the fence. So mm-hmm. um, you got to have one – you know, you can't have one or the other. you got to have them both, so – yeah, he's he's failed to get into the sixth inning in any of his starts this year. Yeah, so that that is huge. Um, you definitely want the guys in the top of the order early on in this game to uh, you know try to make them work, get them deep into account, and try to get at least twenty pitches out of them in that first inning, and and hopefully get you know get through them and get them out of there early. Yeah, and looking at uh, Cleveland starter, we have uh, Aaron Savale going for uh, uh, the Guardians and kind of a mixed bag with some of the guys he's faced before um, yeah you know dj LeMahieu is three for eight claver torres is three for eight 
uh, Aaron Judge is two for eight, but then you look at Josh Donaldson, one for six. Marlon Gonzalez, one for seven. Aaron Hicks, one for three. Kyle Higashioka, one for two. Mm. Iser, uh, Isaiah Connor falefa 0 for five. Anthony Russo, one for five. Stanton, 0 for two. Jose so Trevino, a, one for two. So, a couple guys that see him really well and seem to get on base a lot against him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron Judge has a walk, so does LeMahieu. Those are the only walks yeah. he's issued to any of these uh, hitters in the Yankee lineup. But uh, no triples or home runs allowed to any of these guys either. So That's good news um, because that's been the story of this series so far. It's been the home run ball. You know, mm-hmm. outside of the home run ball, um, you know, we are in both of these games so far, and they're both very winnable games. So if that's something that he can control and get down, you know, we've really got a chance against this team because they're, they're not a team that's going to, you know, just base hit you to death. They're a team that's – they're going to make big splash innings, you know, and it's usually going to be with the long ball. Yeah, and that's that's how they pretty much uh, scored their runs for the most part in this series. Uh, even though, as we say that today, uh, two of the three runs for the Yankees in this game did come not via the long ball. but Right. Uh, still the one home run, though, so we still haven't gotten, still haven't managed to get through a game without giving a digger to this lineup. So, yeah, it'd be great if you can at least keep them from leaving the yard tomorrow. You know, that'd be fantastic. Uh, limit the damage, make them have to manufacture runs because manufacturing runs is not Yankee baseball. At least it's not at, uh, currently at the moment. Right. Right. Uh, It's, it's long ball or nothing. (laughs) It's feast or famine. Well, here's the good news. A lot of these guys in this Yankee lineup just aren't hitting well yet. You know, a lot Mm -hmm. of guys under 200. So, um, you know, if there's a time that you, you really want to take advantage and pound the zone, it's against a team that's struggling at the plate. So, you know, Hopefully he can pound his own and, and, you know, not give up any damage on the the BABIP department. Yeah, you know, getting getting killed in the BABIP department is just, it's so brutal to watch. Yeah, it's, especially for a guy like him where you kind of de- depend on, you know, having them put the ball in play. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's a game that could go either way, but I'm pretty optimistic about it, more so than I would have been knowing we'd be going up against Garrett Curl, uh, Cole, seeing how he's pitched so far this season. So definitely a winnable game for the Guardians. It, it is winnable. It's it's definitely something that you can be like, hey, they can win this game. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's not the impossible task. It, it, it seemed like coming into this season, but the fact that Garrett Cole looks very, very mortal gives them a, a legitimate shot here. Definitely. To, you know, either if it's to avoid a sweep or to somehow win the series, depending on how the game here on Saturday uh, works itself out here. Yeah, but we will see how that game plays out, and uh, we will make sure we uh, recap that game in full next podcast. So don't worry, we will let you guys know exactly what happens uh, throughout that game too. Yeah, and uh, just curious, you're going to be watching the uh, Sunday night game tomorrow, uh, tomorrow evening? Who do we got Sunday night tomorrow? Sunday night is going to be one hell of a matchup, as it is the Milwaukee Brewers at the Philadelphia Phillies. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm in on that. Uh, let's add that to the. Uh, we'll add that to the rundown for the next show. We'll let you guys know how that game went. Yeah, Eric Lauer and Aaron Nola, the uh, probable pitchers on Sunday night. Okay. Okay. 
Should the be Phillies, a- man, they've, they've really went in all in on just, like, scoring a bunch of runs, haven't they? Because they don't seem to care much about defense at all on that team. No, their defense sucks, but everyone knew their defense was going to suck, so... Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, the, the guys that they added, like, not guys that are going to wow you on the defensive side of the ball. So it seems like they've just went all in and been like, ah, fuck it. We're just going to score a bunch of runs. Yeah, and, you know... So those teams are fun to watch. Those teams are real fun to watch, and... Uh, this is a game that could very well be uh, uh, one where a lot of runs are scored. So, yeah, I'm in on this one. Yeah, should be a good one, and we'll definitely talk about that on our next pod. As a reminder, like, comment, subscribe, share, tell your friends and family, rate five stars this podcast. Absolutely. Please, Uh, please. It helps us so much. Any of that stuff helps. Uh, And, and yeah, leave a comment, too. Let us know what you think. If uh, you disagree or agree with anything we said, let us know. Mm -hmm. Uh, We would love to continue the discussion uh, on the comments and on our Twitter pages and stuff. So Mm -hmm. reach out to us and let us know what you think. Yep. And this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google, Podchaser, TuneIn, and ThisIsBelieveOne.com. And if you're wondering if I have it all written down so I can read it off a piece of paper, yes, I do. I was going to say, I hope you don't have that memorized, but that's very impressive. Yeah, so anywhere you could find podcasts, you will find Guard in the Corner. Yes, it is available everywhere, and you can find it everywhere, so you can listen to it anywhere. Literally anywhere. We cannot make it any easier for you guys to listen. Uh, So, yeah, there's no excuse. (laughs) 